Bollinger in his Bible on page 1660 has what I think is a very fine piece of work where he speaks of the whole structure of the church epistles in the relationship of introversion, which is good. He speaks of Romans saying doctrine and instruction, which it is. It's the gospel of God never hidden but promised afore. Of Corinthians, he says, reproof, practical failure to exhibit the teaching of Romans through not seeing their standing as having died and risen with Christ. Galatians, he has correction, doctrinal failure as to the teaching of Romans, beginning with the truth of the new birth. They were soon removed and sought to be made perfect in the old nature of the flesh. Ephesians is doctrine and instruction. The mystery of God always hidden, never before revealed. Individual Jews and Gentiles gathered out and made one new man in Christ, seated in the heavenlies with Christ. And then Philippians, reproof, practical failure to exhibit the teaching of Ephesians in manifesting the mind of Christ as members of one body. Colossians, correction, doctrinal failure as to the teaching of Ephesians. Wrong doctrines which come from not holding the head. And then isolated by itself and yet a part of the structure and the body is Thessalonians, which is doctrine and instruction. And listen to this. Not only dead and risen with Christ as in Romans, not only seated in the heavenlies with Christ as in Ephesians, but caught up to meet the Lord in the air, so to be forever with the Lord. In Romans, justified in Christ. In Ephesians, sanctified in Christ. In Thessalonians, glorified with Christ. No reproof, no correction, all praise and thanksgiving. Thessalonians comes last, though written first. There are no church epistles beyond this because there is no higher truth. The consummation is reached. This is the highest form in the school of grace where the Holy Spirit is the great divine teacher. All truth, and that's a quotation from John. Remember, it says, when the spirit of truth is come, he will lead you into all truth. All truth culminates here. The all truth into which he was to guide. The church of God is led from the depths of degradation in Romans to the heights of glory in Thessalonians, caught up to be forever with the Lord and left there in eternal blessing in and with Christ. I think that is a fantastic statement of truth. And in his appendix in 192, Bollinger has the following to say, which I think again is very worthwhile considering and really understanding. You see, in the books of the, or the way in which they were chronologically written, there is one way of looking at them. And then there's a book, a way to look at them in the way they were spiritually written. One is called chronological order, the other is called canonical order. The canon and I taught you in the while ago in that first verse, or before we got into the first verse, that
that all the Pauline epistles to the church in every text stand in the same order. Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and then Colossians. The chronological order is Thessalonians, then Hebrews, then Corinthians, then Galatians, then Romans. And then we you have the prison epistles, those that were written from his first imprisonment. Philippians, Philemon, Colossians, and Ephesians. And that's the order, of course, in which I too believe they were written. And then you have what is referred to as the pastoral epistles. And the word pastoral simply means, you know, to pastor your people. I don't know any other way. You just have to understand the word pastoral. That's what it means. And that's Timothy, Titus, and then Second Timothy. And of course, the canonical order is Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Thessalonians. And Dr. Bollinger writes the following in his appendix. Seven churches are addressed as such by the Holy Spirit. Seven is the number of spiritual perfection, the same number as the Lord himself addresses later to the assemblies in Revelation 2 and 3 from the glory. In these epistles, the church epistles, we have the perfect embodiment of the Spirit's teaching for the churches. They contain the all truth of John 16, 13, into which the Spirit of truth was to guide the Lord's people. They contain the things which the Lord could not speak on earth, for the time for it was not then. They contain the things of mine, which he shall take and shall show unto you. The number of these epistles, seven, is perfection. Their order also is perfection. That this order is not chronological, but topical and didactic is made clear beyond all question by the fact that the Holy Spirit has placed the epistles written first of all, Thessalonians 7, and last in the list. The question whether the order in which the Holy Spirit has presented these epistles is the order in which we find them in our Bibles must therefore be answered by the teaching of the Spirit himself as unfolded to us in his own divinely perfect arrangement of the epistles. Instead of according to man's idea, which strives to evolve a doctrinal system according to the chronological sequence usually accepted. Although the chronological sequence of the epistles has its own wonderful lesson to impart, as we trace in order the gradual unfolding of the teachings of the Spirit in connection with the progress of doctrine from Pentecost to Paul's imprisonments, Yet these other teachings are fully presented to us by our divine guide in the experimental order in which the epistles to the seven churches are sent out. In all the hundreds of Greek manuscripts of the New Testament, the order of these epistles never varies. The general order of the books of the New Testament takes the form of groups, of one, the four Gospels, second Acts, third, the so-called general epistles, and fourth, the Pauline epistles, and fifth, the Apocalypse. But while the order of these five groups varies in some of the manuscripts, and the Pauline epistles vary in their positions with respect to the other four groups, 
And while the Pauline epistles themselves vary in their order, example, Hebrews in some cases follows Thessalonians, the order of these seven church epistles is invariably the same. It is ignorance of this divinely given standard that results in the deplorable attempts to, quote, square, end of quote, the teachings of our Lord in the Gospels which concern the kingdom of heaven and the Jewish polity with the teaching of Paul the apostle and bond servant of Jesus Christ in the church epistles. And so when it is found that they cannot be squared, we have the unseemly utterances and procedures of those who throw over the Pauline doctrine, as they term it, in favor of the teaching of Jesus, with contemptuous references to the Hellenistic tendencies of Paul's mind and so forth, and such statements as the master's words must be preferred to a disciple's, or we must get back to Jesus and so on, all of which and similar utterances make abundantly clear the fact that the divine teaching of the Holy Spirit is in fulfillment of the promise of the Lord in John 16, 13, is not only overlooked or not understood by some, but is deliberately ignored and rejected by others who employ them. Any Christian who does not give earnest heed to what has been written specifically for his instruction is liable thus to be led away. Every word of scripture is for him and for his learning, but not every word is about him. These epistles are all about him and about the special position in which he finds himself placed with reference to Jew and Gentile, the old creation and the new, the flesh and the spirit, and all the various phenomena which he finds in his experience. In connection with the order in which these church epistles come to us, we note, first of all, that they're grouped in two divisions of three and four. Three stand out distinct from all the others as being treatises rather than epistles. They stand out as treatises rather than epistles and as containing so much more doctrinal matter as compared with that which is epistolary. This will be seen from the detailed structure which gives the contents of each. These three are Romans, Ephesians, and Thessalonians, and the four are placed between these three in two pairs, each pair containing respectively reproof and correction in contrast to the other three which contain doctrine and instruction. Romans comes first as containing the primaries of Christian education. It starts by showing man, Gentile and Jew alike, as utterly ruined and helpless, lost and ungodly sinners. How the saved sinner has died together with Christ and together with him is risen to newness of life, made his son and heir of God in him. Ephesians takes up from this point, beginning not with man, but with God. It reveals to us the knowledge of God and of his purposes in Christ, the heading up of all things in Christ in a dispensation of the fullness of time. 
and the formation of a joint body of Jew and Gentiles as a church by which God's manifold or variegated wisdom may be made known unto principalities and powers in the heavenlies. Thessalonians, written first of all the epistles, are placed in this connection last of all by the Holy Spirit. Herein is given the special revelation concerning the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. They stand last and alone, being followed by no other church epistle. If we have ears to hear, this truth proclaims that it is useless to teach Christians the truth connected with the Lord's coming until they have learned the truth in the other epistles, until they know and understand from Romans what they are by nature and what God has made them to be in Christ Jesus, sons and heirs, joint heirs with Christ until they know and understand that even now God has blessed them with all spiritual blessings in the heavenlies in Christ in Ephesians. They have no place for and no understanding of the truths concerning his return from heaven. To sum up, the saved sinner is shown in Romans as dead and risen with Christ, in Ephesians as seated in the heavenlies in Christ, in Thessalonians, in glory forever with Christ. I think that is a fantastic presentation of a tremendous amount of truth that needs to be learned and understood by all of us that are in the core. In this Thessalonian epistle in verse 2, it says we give thanks to God always. And the word always doesn't mean continuously, but it means sporadically. You know, when you pray, you ain't praying all the time. Don't kid yourself. So we give thanks to God sporadically, always. We give thanks to God sporadically, making mention of you in our prayers, lifting them to the Father. Verse 3, remembering without ceasing, the word remembering without ceasing means to remember with careful attention and perseverance. Isn't that beautiful? To remember with careful attention, careful attention, and then perseverance means stay on it. Remembering without ceasing your work of is the word meaning proceeding from. Faith is the word pistis meaning believing. Remembering with careful attention and perseverance your work proceeding out of your believing or proceeding from your believing and labor of love and patience of hope of our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God, even our Father, not and, but even our Father. Boy, what a tremendous truth in verse of Scripture. Patience of hope 
patience, of hope. You and I may live out our lifetime without the return of Christ. I do not know. I've got patience, but I've got hope. And it's that hope of Christ's return that makes it possible for me to go on day after day, week after week, year after year. If the Lord comes before I die, praise the Lord. If he doesn't, I still have the hope. And I've got the patience. And this in the sight of God, who is even our what? Father. Verse 4. Knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. And boy, when I think that God chose me, that God loved me, that he gave his only begotten son for me, something just happens inside of my soul every time I think about it. The reason you can have the election of God is because of God's foreknowledge. And because of God's foreknowledge, he is able to elect and what is called in Romans predestinate. Predestination is not a blind election. Predestination is a foreknowledge election because of the omniscience of God. Knowing, brethren, your election of God. Verse 5. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but in power also. The word also has to follow the word power. Have you marked your Bibles yet on the word also every place since we came out with that publication? It's a beautiful piece of work. We republished it from Bollinger's original work. It's again in print because we did it. You ought to take your Bible and every place the word also has to be changed, you change it. The word also here goes after the word power. Not unto you in word only, but what? In power also. Power also. The power also is a demonstration. The power also would be the speaking in tongues, the interpretation, the prophecy, the word of knowledge, the word of wisdom, discerning of spirits, faith, miracles, and healing. That's the power also. And in Penumahagion, the gospel came not unto you in word only. It was just, just wasn't words, but demonstration, power, and in Holy Spirit and much assurance as ye know what manner of men we became among you for your sake. The word were is the verb form became. They just lived the word and manifested the living word as they lived. Verse 6 says and ye became followers the word followers is imitators, and ye became imitators of us and of the Lord. Because they were living the word, therefore when they became imitators of that living word that they were living, they became imitators of the Lord. Having received, the word received is decomai, subjectively received, the word in much affliction. They got the word and they received it under very trying conditions. Things that 
the adversary was throwing at them to obstruct them, they still received the word in much affliction. With what? Joy. Happiness is surroundings. There was no happiness in the surrounding because everybody was beating them up or something. Joy is an inside job. They decomide, they subjectively receive the word in much affliction under very trying conditions, but they had what on the inside? Joy of God, Holy Spirit who is God. They're the joy of God. God the Father said that a while ago, something about God. God even our what? Father. It said that in verse 3. Here it talks about the joy of Holy Spirit, and here it's God. Boy, they received the word in a very difficult situation, but they had joy on the inside to the end that verse 7 says that ye were examples or examples to all who believe in Macedonia and Achaia. That word examples is the word type. That word example really interested me. In Bollinger's figures of speech used in the Bible on page 768, he has his work on type. And that's the word for example here. So that ye were types, examples, types. And I want to read you what he wrote in here. Type. A figure or example of something future and more or less prophetic called the antitype. In this instance, it is not future or prophetic. He just didn't cover that, but is a great truth. Most of the types that are used in the Bible are future and are prophetic. This one here is not future, it happened right then and there. It was a type. He talked about becoming imitators in verse 6. Having received the word in much affliction, so that ye were types, types. The Greek is the word tufos. The verb to patain means, listen, to strike, make an impress. Hence, Type means primarily a blow. A blow. That's type. That's type. Type. Then the impress or the mark left by a blow. Then a mark print or impress of any kind. That is tremendous. Look at that verse. So that ye were types to all that believe in Macedonia and what? They were a what? Blow. A blow. A blow. Boy, oh boy. They received the word in much affliction, but they had joy on the inside. So in the end that they became a blow. They hammered the word to people. Socked it to them. Boy, you talk about greatness of God's word and the beauty of it. 
Look at that, baby. That you were a blow. They didn't blow, but they were a blow. To all, they were a blow. They stood, they talked, they manifested. They, you know, they were a type. As far as I know, this is the only type that isn't prophetic. As he says, prophetic or future in the word. Men who and women who dare to believe God's word and put their impress upon life and society. That's something. We call it a type writer. That's beautiful. You sock it to it and you get the type on it. Once you've socked it to it, then the imprint is there. That we call type. But you can't ever get the type until you sock it to it on the typewriter. That's the blow. That's this word type. Isn't that beautiful? They received it in much affliction, but that they had joy on the inside and they became the type, the type, the type for the believers. This is a church epistle addressed to you. We have to become the type. We've got to be the men and women that blow the type. Hit them with the word. The type, you understand? The imprint will be the results of the blow. Boy, oh boy. Verse 8. For from you sounded out. Sounded out. I can understand that. Listen. Sounded out. For from you sounded out. The word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place, the word also is scratched, but in every place, in every place, your, the cords, believing, pistis, faith, believing, towards God, to God word means towards God. You're believing towards God is spread abroad. The word spread abroad means to go forth or has gone forth. In every place you're believing towards God has gone forth so that we need not to speak anything to you. He had nothing further to say on the outreach of God's word. They had just gone out and put their blow. Sounded forth. He didn't have to tell them to witness and stay on the word. They were witnessing and staying where? They were holding forth the greatness of God's word. Boy, oh boy. What a tremendous thing. Man, oh man. In Romans... Chapter 10, very familiar to you core kids, but we need to read it in the light of this again. Context, for there is no difference in verse 12 between the Jew and what? For the same Lord over all is rich unto all who call upon him. How? Whosoever, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be what? How? Then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed. How shall they believe in him of whom they have not what? And how shall they hear without a blower? A what? 
a preacher, a man who stamps, who speaks, how shall they preach except they be what? Sent. As it is written, here it is. How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report, our preaching. So then, believing cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of what? But I say, have they not heard? Yes, verily, their sound went into all the earth and their words unto the ends of the world. How's that? Their sound went into all the earth, their words unto the ends of the world. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord. Not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place, your believing towards God has gone forth. Your believing toward God has what? That's something. You see, in Psalm 19. I don't think these references are in your center reference. I don't know. Are they? I don't imagine. Verse 4. Their line, their direction is gone out through all the earth. And their teaching to the end of the world. In the heavens hath he set a tabernacle. Houses for the sun. Their direction is gone out through all the earth. And their teachings to the end of the world. Boy, this thing in Thessalonians is just electrifying. They received the gospel in much affliction, but they had joy on the inside. And they were types. They gave it a blow. They really held forth the word. For it sounded out from them in every place. So at the end, they did not need to speak anything further. Verse 9. For they themselves show is the word report in verse 9. For they themselves report of us what manner of entering in we had unto you and how you turned unto God from idols and that tells me they were mostly Gentile because the Jews didn't worship idols. And how you turned unto God from idols to serve a living and true God, not the A. You see, this showed the report is what you get after you take the examination. Then you get your ABs. This is a report card. The Thessalonians report card indicated that Paul's previous manner of entering in when he taught them the greatness of God's word was not in vain because they carried it out. They put the blow to it, the stamp, the type, and they turned from idols who are dead to serve a living and true one. Right. The idols were just statues and all the rest, the junk. There is no true God there they turn from those idols that had no power to the power of the true and living God and look what verse 10 says and to wait 
There's an older text that reads, and I think that's more accurate, and to await for his son from the heavens, plural, the hope of the return. You see what these Thessalonians who held forth this greatness of the word, who gave it that blow, the reason they were able to stand and knock it and share it and just push it so hard is because they had the hope of what? Return. Without it, you're going to flip. You're going to sell out. You can't stand the pressure. You just never will stand it. And to await for his son from the heaven. Whenever it, heavens is in the plural, it covers both top and bottom, everything. Includes the earth and the heavens and everything that's in it. When it's in the singular, it's just one or the other, the heaven or the earth. I think in the Lord's Prayer, it's in the plural. Our Father, which art in the heavens, in the first line. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, singular. I think that's the way it is in the Lord's Prayer. Here it's plural. To await for his son from the heavens. Look what it says. Whom he raised from the what? Jesus. Who rescued us from the wrath to come or from the coming wrath. Isn't that beautiful? My oh my. See God raised him from the dead. Whom did he raise? Jesus. The humiliated one. Didn't raise Christ. He raised Jesus. The one who suffered. The savior. Who was killed. He raised him. From the dead. Jesus. Which delivered us. The word delivered is rescued us. Because deliverance has to be rescuing. Because we are dead. It's like a man who has just drowned. He rescued to the end that he gave him life. By spiritual something or other. Which rescued us. And it reminds me much of another epistle where he said he rescued us out from among. Here it says he rescued us from the wrath to come or the coming wrath. Well, people, if we have been rescued from the coming wrath, then we have been what? That means we have passed from death unto life and never more shall come into what? Boy, oh boy. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are where? Boy, you see why this epistle is so fantastic. Because in the gathering together, the hope of the church, no condemnation, no wrath. That's why I know we could never go through the tribulation that they talk about, you know. Pre and post rapture gangs. We have passed from death to life. We shall never more come into contact. We're not under the wrath of God. The wrath of God is that period of time when the Lord returns as King of Kings and Lord of Lords and all the heaven shake and all the rest of the stuff that the book of Revelation talks about. We're never going to go through it because we're going to be gathered together before that great and notable day comes.
Boy, what a privilege it is to be a Christian. What a joy it is to belong to him. What a thrill it is that we are allowed to live in a day and time when we can again boldly be a type to hold forth the greatness of God's word. Bollinger says in this page here on type, he says in the New Testament, the word type occurs in several different senses. It is rendered a print or mark in John 20, 25. A figure in Acts 7.43 and Romans 5.14. Form, F-O-R-M, in Romans 6.17. Fashion, in Acts 7.44. Manner, in Acts 23.25. Pattern, in Titus 2.7. Hebrews 8.5. And sample, 1 Corinthians 10, 11, Philippians 3, 17, 1 Thessalonians 1, 7, 2 Thessalonians 3, 9, 1 Peter 5, 3. Example, 1 Corinthians 10, 6, 1 Timothy 4, 12. The Greeks used it of the symptoms of a disease. Galen wrote a medical work entitled Peritone to pone concerning symptoms. In a legal sense, it was used of what we technically cite as a case. It will thus be seen that the special and technical sense which has been given to it by theologians is not exactly equivalent to any of these usages. The nearest being Romans 5.14, where Adam is spoken of as a type of the coming one. The theological use of the word agrees more with what in the New Testament is called skia, a shadow. Hebrews 10.1, Colossians 2.17. There is therefore not much profit in following out what have been called types by men. Many are merely illustrations, and it would be better so to call them, inasmuch as they did not and do not of themselves teach the truths, but only illustrate those truths which are elsewhere clearly revealed. We should never have called them types, but for such subsequent revelation, and therefore they're only illustrations as far as their teaching agrees with clear revelation afterward made. So many, many religious groups come up with types. You know where they say Moses was a type, Aaron was a type, Sarah was a type of the Lord. That's all theological hogwash. A type is a blow. And then the result of that blow is the pattern you see. The imprint, the impress that he talks about. This Jesus, which rescued us from the coming wrath, was the blow. He was the type. He is the one that hit it. And it's for him that we are waiting his return. In the meantime, we sock it to him. If I were writing figures of speech in your language, I'd say it's socket to them time. <laughs> they, they hit them. 
with the greatness of the word, the dynamic of that word, the power of that word, because God raised him from the dead. This Jesus who rescued us out from among the dead and saved us from the wrath that is to come. Boy, I praise God tonight that I don't have to be alive when that day comes.